Hello, and welcome to this Sleepcast series of the Stuff of Dreams podcast. My goal in this series is to provide you with relaxing bedtime stories that also have substance in the form of myths. I'm your host, Amy Lawson, MD, practicing pediatrician. I also have a master's degree in depth psychology, specifically in Jungian and archetypal studies. Our first myth is that of Psyche and Eros. Psyche is a human woman who unknowingly marries Eros, the god of love, who hides his identity from her. When she breaks his rule and dares to know who he really is, he casts her away. She must perform four difficult tasks to work her way back toward the god she loves. During their separation, Psyche and Eros each grow and mature until they're able to come together again in a more equal and deliberate and truly loving way. And now, Psyche and Eros, Part 1. In the blue waters of the Aegean Sea, midway between Greece and Egypt, lies the fertile land of Crete. Here, long, long ago, when the gods still walked on earth in human form, there ruled a king with three lovely daughters. They lived in a palace on a lush plain beneath the shade of a snow-capped mountain, surrounded by smiling gardens and fruitful vineyards, and with a glimpse of the sparkling Mediterranean Sea. The beauty of these three maidens made them famous throughout all the land, and wealthy suitors flocked from far and wide to win their hands in marriage. The two older sisters soon became the brides of two great princes and were well content to pass their days in the sunshine of their husbands' love and admiration, and to adorn themselves with gold and jewels and listen to the praise of their beauty. For the gods had given them grace of form and feature, but their souls within were vain and foolish so that later, when they found their sister more blessed than they, their vanity and envy brought them down. The youngest sister, whose name was Psyche, continued to live at home long after the other two were married. In face and form, she was just as fair, and her soul within was so pure and beautiful that it shed a heavenly radiance about her, so that when men looked into her face, all thoughts of the pursuit of love left their hearts, and they worshipped her as one of the goddesses. Wherever she passed, voices were hushed and heads were bowed, till it was rumored that Aphrodite herself, the queen of love, had come to live among humankind. The temples stood deserted and the altars bare of sacrifice, and from far and wide, men flocked to Psyche with their gifts and garlands and songs of praise. Aphrodite herself was filled with jealousy and wrath that a mortal should seize her place, and she began plotting revenge. Truly, I must make this maiden regret the day when men first laid my offerings at her feet. I will strike her with such a difficulty that her very beauty shall be scorned, and the heights of her pride will be nothing compared to the depths of her shame and misery. She sent for her son, the great god Eros, whose poisoned arrows no one can withstand, since they burn men's hearts with the fever of unsatisfied desire that runs like heavenly nectar through the veins. Yet this joy is like madness, and the torture of Eros's wrath is an unquenchable frenzy. Beloved son, she said, if you care anything for my name and fame, you will do what I ask. In Crete, there lives a maid called Psyche who has dishonored me. My offerings are cast before her feet. My temples stand empty of worshippers who flock to pay her court. From the farthest shores of Greece, men cross the sea in white-winged ships to gaze upon her face. Go now and pierce her with a poisoned arrow from your bow. Make her love some monster, deformed in soul and body, with a passion so shameless and all-consuming that men shall reject her. 
If you love me, go with all speed and do my bidding. So Eros sped away to fulfill Aphrodite's command and plant in the heart of Psyche the image of a dark and dreadful monster and make her love it. As she slept, he came and stood beside her, armed with his bow and poisoned arrows. But when he looked upon her, his arm fell lifeless by his side, and the arrows slipped out of his hand, for never had he seen one so fair, and her beauty struck his heart as surely as ever one of his own shafts had pierced a human's breast. From that moment he loved her with all his soul, and swore that no harm should ever come to her from him, but that he himself and no other, whether man or monster, should be her husband. And he picked up the arrow and put it back into the sheath. If she can trust me, he said, she shall never feel a wound from one of these. I will carry her away and she will be mine. But till the gods allow me to marry a mortal, and till my mother's anger is appeased, I must visit her only in the nighttime, and she must not know who I am, nor see my face. When the gods have found her worthy of me, then will I reveal myself, and through my love she'll be immortal and dwell with me forever. And he bent over and kissed her lightly on the lips. She smiled in her sleep and held out her arms towards him, and he knew that his kiss had kindled in her heart the light of love. Aphrodite, meanwhile, with her mind at ease, walked along the shell-strewn curve of a sandy bay, and laughing ripples made music at her feet. The sun was slowly sinking, and from Aphrodite's feet, a broad gold path of light led straight to the sunset realms of Helios, the sun god. And as she waited on the shore, a band of dolphins plowed the sea towards her. In their wake came tritons blowing on soft-voiced conches, and some drew a pearly shell behind and pushed it to the shore so she could enter it as a carriage. Great Helios bids you to his midnight revelry, O queen of love, they cried. As the goddess stepped into the shell, they spread a silken sail above her head, and with music and laughter, they crossed the shining sea to the golden halls of the god of the sun. Psyche, meanwhile, all unconscious of the anger she had kindled in Aphrodite, was pining away in her father's house, lonely of heart. Little did she care for the worship that men paid her or for the offerings that they laid at her feet. It was for the love of a husband that she longed, and her soul was starving in the midst of rich gifts and the rapt, adoring gaze of worshippers. At last, the king could bear her melancholy no longer, and he set forth on a pilgrimage to Apollo's shrine at Delphi to question the oracle. Have the gods ordained that Psyche, my daughter, should die unwed, though she's the fairest maid on earth, or does some husband await her? O God of light, reveal his name and save my child from death. From the midst of the incense and vapor, the oracle's priestess made reply. Think not of marriage songs, O king. On a lonely rock on snow-clad Mount Ida, you must leave your daughter, the bride of no mortal man. But a savage monster shall come, the terror of gods and men, and shall bear her away to his own land. And your eyes shall see her no more, for so the gods have willed it. So the king went sadly home with a heavy heart, and all the people mourned with him, for they loved the fair princess with her beautiful sad face and her kind and noble heart. So the land was plunged in mourning, and the palace was all bustle and confusion in preparation for Psyche's ordeal. All day long, the old king sat in his chamber and looked out towards the lonely heights of Mount Ida, where his daughter was to be left. 
Better that she should die in her maidenhood, he cried, than wed this terrible monster. Psyche alone in all the palace was calm and tried to comfort him. Father, she said, as she put her arms about his neck, to look on your tears is more bitter than my fate. Weep not, for something within me tells me to take comfort, and I hear a sweet voice say, Rejoice, beloved, and come with me. If but for one day I may look upon the face of my husband, I would gladly die, for I believe it is no monster I must wed. But the king thought only of the words of the oracle and would not be comforted. At length the bridal day dawned, and the sad procession wound slowly from the palace towards Mount Ida. Choruses of singers led the way with solemn dirges for the dead, and the king, uncrowned, followed with his nobles clad in armor and holding blazing torches in their hands. Next came Psyche, all in white, with a bridal veil and garlands, and surrounded by white-robed maidens. And last of all, the people of the city followed with loud wailing. Up the steep mountain road they went, and the path grew rougher and narrower step by step. Slowly, the shadows of the rocks lengthened across the barren slopes, and the funeral torches shone pale in the glowing sunset light. At last, they reached the appointed place beneath the unmelting snow, and on the barren rock they set the maiden, and bade her a sorrowful goodbye. Again and again, they turned back to look on her as they wound their way back down the mountain track, and always she waved to them a fond farewell. At length, the shadows fell on all the mountainside, and only the snow-clad peak flashed like a ruby in the last rays of the sun. And as they looked backward for the last time, they saw Psyche transformed in the golden light. Her white dress shone like a rainbow, and her golden hair fell about her shoulders like a stream of fire. And as she raised her arm to wave to them, she looked like no mortal maid, but a goddess in all her beauty so that the people hushed their voices and bowed their heads before her. Soon the light faded and they could see her no more. Sadly, they went on their way and all down the mountain track and across the plain below, the torches shone out like pale twinkling stars in the darkness. Psyche, meanwhile, left alone, pondered sadly on her fate and wondered what the night would bring. And as she sat and pondered, a soft breeze played about her, filling her veil and robe and gently she felt herself lifted from the rock and borne through the air till she was laid down upon a grassy bank sweet with the scent of thyme and violets. Here a deep sleep fell upon her, and she knew no more. Day was dawning when Psyche awoke, and high up in the bright air the larks were singing their morning hymn to the sun and calling on bird and beast and flower to awake and rejoice in the glad daylight. At first, she could remember nothing of what had happened and wondered where she was. Then slowly, all the sad ceremony of the day before came back to her. The funeral procession up Mount Ida, the lonely rock on which she had been left, and the soft west wind that had borne her away. So she rose up from the green bank on which she had slept all night and looked around to see what manner of land she was in. She found herself standing on a little hill in the middle of a fertile plain. Steep cliffs rose up on every side as though to guard the peaceful valley and keep out any evil thing that would enter in. The valley widened out towards the sea. As Psyche gazed, the golden disk of the sun rose slowly from the water, bright rays lighting up the gray morning sky and scattering the silvery mist that hung about the treetops. 
On either side of her was a wood with a green glade between sloping up towards a marble temple, which flashed like a jewel in the rays of the rising sun. And Psyche was filled with wonder at the sight, for it seemed too fair to be the work of human hands. Then she looked about her to see if anyone was near, but all around was quiet and still with no signs of human habitation. Wondering more, she drew near the temple and went up the marble stairs that led to the entrance. When she reached the top, her shadow fell upon the golden gates, and, as she stood doubting what to do, they slowly turned on their hinges and opened to her of their own accord, and she walked through them into the temple. She found herself in a marble court surrounded by pillars and porticos which re-echoed the soft music of a fountain in the middle. Through the open doors of the further colonnade, she caught a glimpse of cool, dark rooms with carvings of cedar wood and silver and silken hangings. And now the air was filled with music and sweet voices calling her by name. Psyche, Lady Psyche, all is yours. Enter in. So she took courage and entered. All day long, she wandered about the enchanted palace, discovering fresh wonders at every step. Even before she knew it, the mysterious voices seemed to guess every wish of her heart. When she wanted rest, they led her to a soft couch. When she was hungry, they placed a table before her spread with beautiful food. They led her to the bath and clothed her in the softest silks, and all the while the air was filled with songs and music. All this time she had said not a word, for she feared she might drive away the kindly voices that ministered to her. But at last she could no longer keep silence. Am I a goddess, she asked, or am I dead? Do those who pass the gates of death feel no change, nor suffer for what they have done, but have only to wish for a thing to gain their heart's desire? The voices did not answer, but led her to the chamber where her bed was spread with embroidered coverlets. The walls all round were covered with curious paintings telling of the deeds of gods and heroes. How golden Aphrodite loved Ares, the god of war, and Apollo loved the nymph Daphne, whom he changed into a laurel tree that never fades. There was Ariadne, too, upon her island, whom the young god Dionysus found and comforted in her distress, and Adonis, the beautiful shepherd, the fairest of mortal men. Psyche, tired out by all the wonders she had seen during the day, sank down upon her bed and was soon asleep. But sleep had barely sealed her lids before she was awakened by a stir in the room. The curtain over her head rustled as though someone were standing beside her. She lay still, almost fainting with terror, scarcely daring to breathe, when she heard a voice softly call her by name. Psyche, my own, my beloved, at last I have you, my dear one. And two strong arms were around her and a kiss upon her lips. Then she knew that at last the husband she had waited for so long had come to claim her. And in her happiness, she cared not to know who he was, but was content to feel his arms about her and hear her name upon his lips. And so she fell asleep again. When she awoke in the morning, her first thought was to look on the face of the husband who had come in the dark night, but nowhere could she find him. All the day she passed in company of the mysterious voices who had ministered to her before, but though their kindness and courtesy was never failing, she wandered disconsolately about the empty halls, longing for the nighttime and wondering whether her lover would come again. As soon as it was dark, she went again to her chamber, and there once more he came to her, 
and swore that she was his forevermore and that nothing should part them. But always he left her before it was light and came to her again when night had fallen, so that she never saw his face nor knew what he was like. Yet so well did she love and trust him that she never cared to ask him his secret. So the days and nights sped swiftly by, for in the daylight Psyche found plenty to amuse her in the enchanted palace and garden, and she did not think of loneliness when every night she could be with her beloved. But one evening, when he came to her, he was troubled and said, Psyche, my dear one, great danger threatens us, and I must ask you something that will grieve your tender heart. My darling, she said, what can there be that I would not gladly do for you? Well do I know, beloved, that you would give your life for me. But that which I ask will grieve you, for you must refuse the favor your sisters shall ask of you. My sisters? They know not where I am. How then can they ask me a favor? Even now they stand upon the lonely rock where you were left for me, to see if they can find you or learn of your fate. And they call you by name through the echoing rocks, but you must not answer them. What, my dearest, you would have my sisters go home disconsolate, thinking I'm dead? No, surely you wouldn't be so hard of heart. But let me bid the soft west wind that brought me here bring them too that they may look upon my happiness and take back the news to my father. Psyche, you don't know what you ask. Your sisters are foolish of heart, and they love the trappings and outward show of sorrow, and with their mourning they wring their father's aching heart till he can bear it no more. So he has sent them to see whether they can hear anything of your fate. And, full of their own heart's shallow grief, they seek you on the mountainside, thinking to find your bones bleaching in the rays of the sun. Were they to see your happiness, their hearts would be filled with envy and spite. They would speak evil of me and taunt you about your unknown husband and bid you to look upon my face to ensure I'm not some foul monster. And Psyche, my wife, the night that you see my face shall be the night that shall part us forevermore, and your first look shall be your last. Therefore do not answer them, I pray you, but stay with me and be my bride. And Psyche was troubled at these words, for she thought her husband wronged her sisters. Nevertheless, unwilling to displease him, she said, I will do your will, husband, even as you say. But all the day long, she thought on her sisters wandering on the bleak mountainside, and how they would call for her by name, and at length go sadly home to her father's house and bring no comfort. The more she thought about it, the sadder she became, and when her husband came to her, her face was wet with tears. In vain he tried to comfort her, she only sobbed more. All my joy is turned to bitterness, she said, when I think of the grief that bows down my father's heart. If but for one day I could bring my sisters here and show them my happiness, they would bear the news to him, and in my joy he would be happy too. Let them come and look at this fair home of mine, and surely it will not harm me or you, my dearest. I have not the heart to refuse you, Psyche, he said, though it goes against me to grant this. I fear that evil will come. If they ask you about me, do not answer. Psyche was overjoyed at his consent and thanked him and put her arms about his neck and said, My dear, all you say I will do, for even if you were Eros, the god of love himself, I could not love you more. 